Hey, we just want to let you know that this episode deals with some more mature content, so we want you to be mindful if you have little ears listening. Welcome to the Vox Pop. We believe that everyone has a story worth telling. This podcast exists to tell those stories. We're your hosts. I'm Peter. And I'm Hannah. This is the Vox Pop. Today we are joined by David Stewart. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. What's going on in your world? What is going on in my world? Um, Lots of Zooms between me and the kids doing distance learning. Um, We're all in class in my house at this point. So yeah, lots of Zooms. (laughs) Yeah. What are you in school for right now? I'm working on a psychology, religious studies, double major. Very cool. Yeah. Is that all online, of course? Uh, It is right now. Yeah, I hope, you know, to be... uh, Actually, the goal is eventually, if I get accepted and everything goes well, to get into uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah. So maybe by next fall, I'll be doing like in-class there. Wow. If everything goes well. Yeah. Yeah. So, because they have a, a neuroscience department there. Yeah. Which is like, that would be my dream, kind of, to get into there. Interesting. So. What about you, Hannah? What's going on with me? Yeah. A whole lot of nothing, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> we had this little thing A little happen. quarantine. So, yeah. yeah, we've been. Oh, tell me about the quarantine. Um, not much to tell. <laughs> <laughs> we hung out. Did you guys have an exposure? Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So kind of a bummer. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. So we've been home with the children's and yeah, it's a trapping feeling, and I think people have been Ooh. felt felt that way for a long time. Yeah. This this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feeling like stuck. Yeah. And that is tough for the three of us. Right. Right. Yeah. As all sevens who hate feeling trapped. Yes. More than anything. <laughs> Very much so. I have okay so i have a cleaning company yes um and so like my residentials completely disappeared when all of this happened oh wow right like yeah i mean 90 percent of them i had some essential workers like some people who work at the hospital who stayed on what um, portion of your business is residential cleaning most of, most it. of it oh yeah. wow luckily i did pick up some commercial mm-hmm. um which kind of kept me going throughout so yeah, I actually was still I kept working throughout because I was I had a, co- a handful of essential workers who I cleaned for and then I had a food production facility that asked us to come in and do like supplemental disinfecting and we mm-hmm. were there literally every day. Wow. So that kind of like just kept the company above water like yeah. I would have I would have completely gone under without yeah. them. So Oof. nothing short of miraculous. Yeah, right. That's awesome yeah. though that able to sustain yes yes i feel especially as like a small business yeah exactly well it right so a lot of my friends who have similar businesses did not do so well Mm. well you should plug your business yeah uh yeah my cleaning company (laughs) is karma cleaners we do residential and commercial cleaning services and we're very experienced in the COVID disinfecting space. So. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And you're all organic. And yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. Right? Well, we offer options now. Well, so sure. yeah, <laughs> with COVID, because some people want like full industrial strength. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Caustic. Um, so with that, you know, uh, but that's mostly with the commercial side of things. So I haven't had anybody request anything like that for residential. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we are a green cleaning company, mm-hmm. first and foremost. That's terrific. Yeah. Let's go way further back. 
Where were you born? What was your family like? Sure. Yeah, so I was born in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Yeah. Oki by birth. <laughs> and I lived there until I was about five or six. So my family, we were, I guess, charismatics. Mm -hmm. It was like a small house church that mm -hmm. turned into like a larger thing. I, I don't want to call it a cult per se, but it was definitely like had those kind of tendencies. Yeah. Like my father and this other guy were kind of like the charismatic leaders of the group. And they were, I guess what you'd refer to as millennial survivalists. Okay. Um, they thought that like Armageddon was coming and they were stockpiling yeah. food and guns and preparing for the end of the world. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, there was all of the things that you think about when you hear charismatics. There was speaking in tongues and laying on hands. And uh -huh. so I grew up kind of like with that being very prevalent in my life. Something happened. I'm really not sure. I, the group kind of just like splintered and fell apart. How old are you when that happened? About five or six. Okay. Yeah. And then my father, not really knowing like what to do next, um, decided to go into seminary. So we actually moved to Memphis uh, so he could attend the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Memphis. So that was a big shift for me because we were like our neighborhood in Norman, Oklahoma was like classic 80s suburban, yeah. you know, America, like, yeah. you know, like that vibe. That's like where my when dad you're watching grew up. an 80s movie, like E.T., it's like, oh, yeah. like that neighborhood. Yeah. I grew up in that neighborhood. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So... Yeah, and then when we moved to Memphis, um, we basically moved like straight into the hood. So it was a bit of a culture shock yeah, for me. Like whiplash. Yeah. yeah. Um, like this, you know, I was the schools I was districted for, I would have been the only white student there. Um, so my parents put me into private school mm -hmm. um, and homeschooled for the first few years until they were able to get me into what they called optional schools which was like you had to, it was like a lottery based, but they were like 50-50, like they kind of made sure that it was a diverse group of kids there. Mm -hmm. um, and so that school was really cool. Yeah, so it was just, it was a bit of culture shock. It was a really rough neighborhood, and but it was really close to the church that we went to, Bellevue Baptist, mm -hmm. Dr. Adrian Rogers. He was okay. like the president of the uh, Southern Baptist mm -hmm association or whatever so there it's a it ended up they moved out to the suburbs and it became like a this huge mega church okay. like the first mega church yeah, in memphis mm -hmm. yeah it's a huge wow. organization so yeah just lots of like really abrupt changes you know so yeah i mean we were uh church three times a week kind of family yeah you know did you have brothers and sisters yeah i have two younger brothers okay the oldest of three and uh yeah do you still keep up with them? Yeah, absolutely. My youngest brother was actually living with me until not too long ago. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, we're all pretty close, I would say. Very cool. Yeah, my dad is still in Oklahoma, and that's where like most of my family is. Yeah. In Norman? Uh, Oklahoma City. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So um, at what point did Jesus become a bigger part of your story? I mean... Personally, I, I know right. you grew up in the church. Yeah, so, well, I guess let's go back to that a little bit. So, like, I definitely developed a love and affinity for Jesus, like, very early on. Mm -hmm. um, I had a really hard time 
reconciling what I saw in a big Southern Baptist mega church mm-hmm. with what I read about Jesus mm-hmm. from a very early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was really inquisitive. I read the Bible a lot, like really early on, and just basically didn't see anything of what I thought it talked about. Like yeah. it was a complete disconnect yeah. to me. And so I was really confused and actually told my parents I wasn't a Christian, like at a really early age. I was probably like eight or nine. And I was like, I'm not because I didn't. What you saw around you. Right. I was like, I'm not I'm that. that. Yeah. I was like, I agree with what he talks about, but I'm not mm. this. And anyways, they tried to nuance it and explain to me like, oh, you're it's okay. Um, they're like, we, they, they, you know, they were aware of it. They weren't Mm. blind to it, but I think they did try to definitely like cover it up. Yeah. You know? Mm. Um, and that was always really hard for me because I could always tell, I think when adults were like covering things up and kind of giving me like pat answers. Yeah. I didn't really go for that much. So I was kind of a rebellious kid. Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. So did that make you like try to explore on your own yes like the do's and don'ts or you know i mean i feel like you see people who their parents are like well just because the bible says so and they're like "Mm -mm, i need need to figure that out on my own (laughs) right yeah so i think i had a really strong like moral compass Mm -hmm. you know that came just from being raised in the church also my grandmother she was really instrumental in kind of like um expressing to me like a love for jesus um that was like a big my relationship with her, I could see how much she really loved Jesus, and I loved her very much, mm-hmm. and so that was kind of like a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it was really like do's and don'ts that I questioned so much. It was kind of just like how people lived, like being generous and taking care of people. and mm-hmm. Like I just didn't see as much of like what I thought of as like Christian ideals being like exemplified you know, mm-hmm. amongst the people. I mean, it was like a gossipy Southern Baptist yeah. church, you know, yeah. where everybody's like super judgmental and like, you know, talking negatively about people of other political backgrounds and other whatever backgrounds, yeah, yeah. you know. That's interesting. I feel like, I mean, knowing you mm-hmm. for a year, maybe two, I don't know. I can't keep track of it. Yeah, I, I think I it's s- been about I a year s- and a half. I see yeah. that and like your care for people, you know? Yeah. And so it's funny, like at a young age and how that thread has continued on. I mean, I know I'm skipping way forward. Sure. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 like, I think that that's one characteristic that I've always seen in you is like super willing to help out and super caring. Oh, thank you. So that that's feels really good. cool. That, I'm glad that, that that's seen. <laughs> that was a seed very young. Yeah. And so I started doing a lot of exploring on my own um, really early on and just, I guess, wanted to see what else was out there. I had my aunt, who I'm really, really close to, was kind of like a, she'll probably hear this, so I want to make sure I say this right, but she was like a, you know, kind of new agey. Yeah. Um, really, like she had spent a lot of time learning yoga under Yogi Bhajan, and like, so like when I would go and spend the night at her house, there'd be like books about your chakras and like crystals and stuff yeah. everywhere, and so like I was really drawn to that too, because she was like my cool aunt, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> And so I got really drawn to like Eastern philosophy from a pretty early age. And I was like into like Wicca and stuff as like middle school and high wow. school and stuff. Yeah. So I definitely went like all over the place yeah. spiritually as yeah. a kid, just kind of exploring and trying to like find my own way. Yeah. What, what do you think you were looking for in that time? I think I was looking for, well, I, I think I'm a bit of a mystic. And so I think I was looking for personal experience. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to like feel something. I wanted to like 
be touched. You know, yeah. I wanted to like feel like something mystical or God or, you know, like if there is God, I feel like I should like feel that. I feel right. like I should like know it viscerally. Like it shouldn't be like a, a um, mental exercise, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what I felt like a lot. It was for a lot of people. It was like a mental exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like let me clamp down this faith thing in my brain. Right. Like a set of beliefs. Right. Right. And like if I say these three things, then everything's going to be yeah. okay. And if there's any doubt, I'm just going to like tamp it all down. Right. You know, mm-hmm. which does not work for me. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many people it works for. <laughs> I don't think I mean, it works for anybody. I, yeah. I think that people pretend like it's sure. working. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So cool. let's see. Yeah. I guess, I mean, that was it. And so I strayed pretty far, you know. Um, I definitely like lost my faith. I mean, five years ago, you know, if, I, if it culminated, then I would have declared myself kind of like an atheist with Buddhist tendencies at mm-hmm. that point. So I would say it went like all the way there to where I was just like completely atheistic, rational empiricism. Yeah. Um, kind of like the new atheists in line uh-huh. with like that whole realm of things. Yeah. How old are you? If you I'm mind. 42. Okay. So yep. five years ago, 37. Yeah. 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 It's 37, 38. So I went through a pretty nasty divorce mm-hmm. and fell into a pretty dark period after that with a bit of depression and a little bit of substance abuse. Yeah. Ended up putting myself through treatment. And while I was there, I had a, I guess what I can only refer to as like a born again experience. Yeah. Like I um, started having some pretty deep discourse with another one of the guys there um, who was a pretty devout Episcopalian. Yeah. Um, so he had really well-constructed arguments. Um, and from all of my searching and research, we were able to have pretty intense but respectful debates. Um, mm-hmm. Me coming from kind of like my Buddhist atheist perspective and him coming from, you know, like a very well-formed apologetics. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of like opened my eyes to the similarities and like what we were saying. I was, We were both able to really say like, there's actually not a lot that we like disagree about, except for you know him, of course, Jesus's role, mm-hmm. um, and the importance of that as being like fundamental and central. And there was these uh, these people who would come in and like do church for us on Sunday mornings at the treatment facility, um, and it was like the most hokey. Like, you know, these people, it was like, it was really hokey. Like the guy was playing on like a, the single electric guitar and singing really poorly <laughs> and, you know, kind of like a real hyped up, like not fire and brimstone, but real kind of like, mm. you know, pumped up, like mm-hmm. motivational speaker type yeah. preaching. But it was really, it, I don't know, it hit me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I definitely had this like moment. And I felt like what I could only refer to as like the Holy Spirit kind of like come in and like I start just like tears streaming down my face and I I just felt it. And I was like, okay, I felt this before. Like I know what this is. And it was just like this warm kind of like, I've been with you this whole time. I love you. You're okay. You've always been okay. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I was like, okay, that was really intense. I need to start exploring. Investigating further. Yeah. 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 Well, I think you're a theme that's coming out of your story and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it is true in your story and probably in most people's story. It's like what really changes us is not 
like head knowledge. It's like this hard experience, right? Like experiences change who we are. Yeah. And like when, when God meets us on the road, like for real, that changes everything about us. Yeah. You can't, when we see who Jesus is, it's like, whoa. Yeah. There's no, you you can't really deny it. And so I, I I spent the next like year and a half, which would be, I guess the last year and a half really Mm -hmm. exploring. So like when I got out of treatment, I had nothing. Mm -hmm. Like I literally came out with absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got into uh, a halfway house um, right down the street from here. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to find a church. um, And actually the same guy who I was having the conversations with in treatment, he got out at a similar time and he actually referred me to Missio. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. He was like, I think you would really enjoy it there. He's like, and so I... I came and checked it out, and I have been coming ever since. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed Brian's preaching. And then, of course, you know, just the loving, welcoming atmosphere yeah. um, that I experienced. And so I spent the next, you know, year and a half just diving really deep into theology studies um, and really just kind of trying to figure out, like, okay. I guess like kind of re-asking all of the questions that I feel like I had been asking as a kid, Mm -hmm. but people just kind of gave me like pat answers to Mm -hmm. and really wanting to like answer those for myself finally. And what I found (laughs) was there were answers and that Mm -hmm. within the tradition, there was actually room for me and the way that I think and the way that I see the world and that I didn't actually have to change anything about my mind or the way that I see things to be able to live as a Christian, mm-hmm. that there's actually tradition that that it all, you know, it all kind yeah. of, it, it's all there already. There's all, all the questions I'm asking have been asked. Right. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. by guys way smarter than me, <laughs> right. you know, like a long, long time ago yeah. who've like devoted their lives yeah. to figuring this kind of ecclesiastical, out. like there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, like these, exactly. All know? of these thoughts and questions have been right and so i think you know i i know my parents did the best job that they could you know uh, and i'm very grateful for the foundation that was laid for me because mm-hmm. i really do believe that that was all set very early on that i would end up back here, yeah you know yeah i really do believe that strongly yeah you know when we see jesus's posture on the cross like, yes with open arms like yep. he is so accepting of everybody and like everybody with a capital E. Yes. You know, everybody, everybody. Literally everyone. Literally yeah. everyone. But then like, not, well, not but then, but as Jesus becomes like dwelling in our hearts and like living in us, he's like, hey, I work on this. I, I want you to like love that person really well. I want you to like enter into this kind of direction of thought or like, hey, like for me, like I've just been confronted with like how I can hold things so tightly like Mm -hmm. it's idolatry like i Mm -hmm. hold like Mm -hmm. how people perceive me i hold like my love of bikes or like craftsmanship or whatever it is like i want people to know that that's what i'm about and that is totally idolatrous yeah so i love how like jesus's posture accepts everyone yeah that then also challenges us to become more like him very cool yeah, it is very cool. Can I go back for a second? Yes. I know we don't do that, but I'm going to ask. No, let's go back because I 
talk really fast. Like when right, I start telling great. a story, I kind of just like get on. That's yeah. great. You know? I think in terms of years, we probably jumped from like 16 to like <laughs> That's 35. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so how old were you when you got married? Yes. Yeah, so I started having kids at a really early age. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to use get married as a terminology to start with. Bo- I've been married. Okay. I, was I like, got divorced, okay. but that was the second relationship that produced children. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so marriage wasn't really an important thing to me sure, early on. Sure. Um, because I wasn't a very traditional person. So like I dropped out of high school. I went on Grateful Dead tour. I met a hippie girl who was on fish tour and we started traveling, hitchhiking around the world. And we were at an ashram in New Mexico learning Kundalini yoga and found out that she was pregnant. I was about 18 at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is good that we went back here because this is kind of <laughs> pivotal, pivotal moment anyways. So we were, yeah, we were at an ashram in New Mexico. And then so I called my mom. And as soon as she picked up the phone, she said, she's pregnant, isn't she? And I was yeah. like, what are you talking about? How do you know this? She's like, I felt it as soon as the phone rang. I was like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Um, so, of course, she said, well, you guys have to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to Memphis mm-hmm. and stayed with my mom for a little bit while we got on our feet. My mom was diagnosed she had my mom had been battling breast cancer for the about a year or two before that Mm. she'd been declared clear of it about like a year before Mm. and so november of that year um so this was the summer when i found out we were pregnant we go there in the fall and then november late november she got diagnosed with acute leukemia and she passed five days later oh wow yeah wow that's Mm. a fast turnaround yeah while you're about to have a baby. Well, yeah, my as first. As a child. As a child, yeah. <laughs> yeah so what was that? I mean, what was that time like? That was, it was insane. It yeah. was It was really traumatic. Yeah. Um, my father had battled with alcoholism mm-hmm. all throughout my childhood and had, you know, had ups and downs sure. for sure. He definitely went through many extended periods of sobriety, but then other times when he fell off. And this was a time when he fell off. Mm. Um but understandably so, you know, he just lost his one true love. Like mm-hmm. partner. I mean, they'd been dating since high school, you know. So Wow, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he he kind of fell apart. I didn't do too well mm-hmm. either. Um, I was drinking pretty heavily mm-hmm. myself at the time. Yeah, and about to have my first kid. So, it, yeah, it was a lot. We ended up having a home birth in Memphis. My oldest son named Avatar. Um, and... Uh, we ended up moving to Asheville um, not too long after that. He was probably yeah. about three months old, and we all picked up and moved here. I basically just wanted to get out of Memphis. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really, after my mom passed, I didn't really feel like there was anything for us there. All the people who I had been running with were not doing very well. Like, it wasn't a great crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, people were, you know, dead or in jail, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to raise my kids there. Memphis is it's just not the brightest of cities to yeah. be honest it's yeah. really not i loved it but it's it's just not where i would want to raise kids and so we came here i had never even really been here before but my mom had wanted to move here before she passed um so kind of like honoring her m- memory yeah. um, i picked up Sweet. the whole family and moved us here yeah 
So let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Please. During this time that you were <coughs> running pretty hard and mm. it sounds like you and your parents still continue like to have a really good relationship. Off and on. Okay. Yeah, it was definitely off and on. So like I had mentioned earlier, I dropped out of high school pretty early on. Actually, they all kind of asked me to stop going. Like your parents or And the, the school, like everyone. Yeah, like they all kind of like sat me down together in the principal's office and they were like, look, legally, we cannot like kick you out of school, but we don't think school is for you. Yeah. Just because um, you. So it would be, e- I was really rebellious. Okay. Um, I was like really smart. I tested in like the top 99th percentile and like all yeah. everything. So you're bored, basically. I was bored to tears yeah. and I really didn't care about curriculum or like anything yeah. like that. I was constantly learning and constantly reading, but I wanted to, it to be what I cared about and not sure. what they were what trying they to cared like about. <laughs> cram down my throat. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, so I just kind of went and did my own thing. I mean, I had my own apartment at like 16 and it was just kind of like yeah. living yeah. on my own. Yeah. So. But you know, we were still close. You know, I would go out to my mom's and do laundry and stuff like that. So, I mean, I I ask that because yeah. I feel like for a mom, you know, like because I think about me and you know, Mark and I are obviously believers. And mm-hmm. if Theo chose to go do his own thing, and then for immediately just to be like, you got to come back here, right? Like that takes a lot, yes. you know. Yes. And I mean, obviously, love for your child, but too like. I'm sure there are things that happened in that time that she was not excited about. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. No, definitely so. And I think she was, you know, so she actually is who sent me to the ashram. So when she found out she had breast cancer um, and went through that, she went through kind of like a spiritual awakening where I guess it kind of like broadened her outlook a little bit. And she was less fundamentalist Mm -hmm. after that, Mm -hmm. more kind of universalist. I would say. And then, so when we, me and my girlfriend at the time were like hitchhiking and we hitchhiked up to Virginia to this farmhouse where her and my aunt and my brothers were all at. And we ended up spending the summer with them. And there was like this big event happening at this ashram. And my mom was like, I think trying to like save me. (laughs) And so she like sent me out there to Mm -hmm. learn yoga, which was actually a really good move. I mean, it laid, it, Because they're really, the Sikhs are like really very conservative group, you know. They're like no substances, no meat, like strictly vegetarian. They all wear white, you know. They wake up at like 4 o'clock in the morning for like prayers and yoga Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so it's a really like kind of strict community. Yeah. And I was actually really surprised at how well I fit into that. I Mm -hmm. think my life actually lacked structure. Sure. My parents were not like highly structured people mm-hmm. um, and so i think that i actually like craved mm-hmm. that yeah. and so like having it kind of imposed on me i really kind of thrived in that situation mm-hmm. um i always kind of imagine that one day when like all of my kids have moved out and stuff that maybe i'll go live at a monastery yeah and kind of do like the monk thing because mm-hmm. i really do i feel like i thrive kind of in a strict setting like that yeah Okay, so sorry. That was, sure. I took some. Yeah, yeah. Trails. No, but that's good. That's yeah. good because we, I do have kids. Yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, yeah. it's good to go back to, to where that all happened. Yeah. So you came to Asheville. Mm-hmm. You're with one kid. With one. With one. Avatar. Yeah. Yep. With Avatar. Take it from there. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so me and, and, and my ex, we, you know, we were kids when we started. Uh, mm-hmm. And we really, you know, I love her to death. We're really close still, but we just did not fit. 
we kept trying to make it work over and over and over again. We would break up and get back together and break up. I mean, over and over, over years. Um, and ended up having four more children together. So after Avatar, um, we had Amaris, um, my oldest daughter. Um, and then we had Soul, my second son. And then we had a set of twins at the end there. I so, did not know you had yeah, twins. So <laughs> How did I miss that? Yeah, so I have boy and girl twins, Freya wow. and Driston. Um, so we went from three to five, like overnight, you know. <laughs> All five of them were born at home, even the twins. There yeah. was like a whole army of midwives there for the twins wow. home birth. Yeah. Not many people can say that. Yeah. Um, actually, Soul, check this out. I actually delivered Soul because the midwife had not arrived yet by the time he came oh out. my gosh yeah. oh my gosh well once you've had that many <laughs> yeah the doula was there yeah. um oh, that's good. and she came literally like as he was like coming out coming out <laughs> yeah. and um she was like you seem to have this under control so i'm just gonna stand back and <laughs> yeah whoa and so i literally that's um amazing. i caught him wow yeah 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 it was wild okay so how many Years have passed now. Yes. Yeah, so that would have been in 2005. Okay. So from like 98 to 2005. Oh, so like okay. seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So we had completely called it quits by the time she found out she was pregnant with the twins mm. and had decided not to try. We were like, no matter what, like we're not going to fall back into this again. We know that we love each other, sure. and, but it just doesn't work personality wise. So we didn't. And in 2006, I met my next partner, mm-hmm. and we had kind of a crazy, tumultuous beginning marred by addiction that we kind of like shared, and then we got clean together. Um, so we're, it was kind of one of those relationships where they say should never work in the mm-hmm. first place, mm-hmm. they, you know, when people like are in mm-hmm. form a relationship and addiction and then like get clean like those it's never supposed to happen but we ended up staying together for like 10 years wow. and had my youngest lyric um who many of y'all yeah. may have met i know um, lyric yep, yep. <laughs> she's so, awesome yep she's pretty awesome they and they uh, uh, like every single one of my kids is like their own unique phenomenal like rock star personalities like yeah. my oldest avatar is like yeah, a f- yeah he's like a famous glass blower like like world famous literally flies to japan like three times a year just bought his mama audi like louis vuitton everything i mean total <laughs> like rock star hangs that. out with rappers like wow. really is like living that life yeah um but, which is exciting and for him he got tell <laughs> Tell us how I like this story. That's why I'm making you tell sure, sure. how we got into glass blowing, though. Oh yeah, yeah. So he, it's it was actually pretty cool. So he saw a documentary on Netflix called Degenerate Art, mm-hmm. um, and he was like, "Dad, this is really what I want to do." And I was like, "Okay, this is a really expensive hobby." <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we all kind of supported him. We were like, "Look, if you stick with it, we'll help." Everybody kind of threw in and. So he hustled up enough money to buy himself a torch. I think we might have matched him. Like if mm-hmm. he'd come up with some, mm-hmm. we'd match him. And then he watched YouTube videos to learn how to make just like marbles and real simple things, pendants and such. And then he would go and sell those to kids at school and hustled up enough money selling the glass things he was making to buy himself a kiln, learned 
again, this is all from watching like YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Learned, got good enough to get an apprenticeship from a guy uh, down in the River Arts District. Um, he wasn't even, he was like not even old enough to work in a glass shop. He was like 16. And by the time he was like 17, he had like outgrown the glass shop and actually was making probably about $30,000 a year. Um, 17. 17. Whoa. Um, from selling his glass. Um, so he, uh, he'd been in all like honors and AP classes um, through high school. And so he went and. Uh, essentially was like, look, if you guys don't let me graduate early, I'm probably just going to drop out because I'm already making, like, I'm already working on my career. And they actually ended up letting him graduate early. So, yeah, because he, I think he had like one credit left and they let him take that one class and then so everything came full circle like he ended up traveling around he really was kind of recognized as like a prodigy Mm -hmm. um, because he was so young and ended up doing like collaboration work with the guys and ended up actually yes living with one of the guys in the documentary (laughs) yeah like dad i want to be one of these guys whenever i grow up and then actually ended up like being literally one, one of, of the guys. guys. Yeah. yeah. So he's out there with those guys right now. Where is out in, there? Uh, in uh, Denver, like right outside Denver in Evergreen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah bougie suburb of yeah. Denver. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, if you got that Louis Vuitton, exactly. you got to be living in the bougie <laughs> suburb. What was home life like? I imagine there was some tumult as you and your your ex were going back and forth and back and forth and you yeah. had these children? It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it was probably pretty crazy, you know? Um, yeah. Like, we were hippies, mm-hmm. so it was never, like, I guess money was never, like, a primary urge for us. It was kind of just, like, let's make enough to just, like, live our lives and yeah. be happy, you know? Yeah. And we were, like, you know, doing as much as we could, like, on the side. But yeah, it was never like a primary motivation. We were not like materialists by any stretch. We would usually find like communities of friends to like live around and there would be like a bunch of families and we'd all kind of like help out, you know, like large properties with like lots of houses on them. Yeah. Yeah. Just like really doing the full on like hippie thing. Yeah. So I think that was kind of, I think that provided a little bit for them because even if like we weren't necessarily stable in our relationship, there was like a large community Mm. of stability, you know? So there was other families and other, you know, it wasn't just us. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's... I think we could learn from that. I think so too. I think that's something that's really lacking like in our modern culture and society is like these what where we came from you know like large groups Mm -hmm. of people all living together and taking care of kids kind of communally Mm -hmm. and yeah i think that the children really really benefit for and the parents i think everyone benefits in the last hundred years right in particular especially in america yeah we've become very like the last seven months yeah seven months for sure made it even worse isolated yeah Yeah. what's is insular the right word insular isolated individualistic Mm -hmm. like all of that Mm -hmm. it's kind of been like the american thing you know to be like your own yeah rugged Mm -hmm. individual you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and we need each other right yeah desperately 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 so can i Please. When did so? When you say addiction, mm-hmm. do you mean alcohol and substance abuse, or was it? Yeah. So I've I've um I was a pretty heavy 
user of substances off and on my whole life. So when did that start? When I was probably about, so I started with just like the high school stuff at like 14, you know, smoking pot, taking acid, things like that. Sheesh, that is so young. Yeah. Um, And then by 16, I had started using drugs intravenously, Um, cocaine, heroin. Mm. Um, I got into this group with uh, these guys who were like on Grateful Dead tour, and I thought that they were really cool. And they were all like really big drug addicts. Mm. Um, and so just being around them all the time, I, it, I guess I got like desensitized to it, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. It found myself doing things that I had sworn I would never do. Yeah. And then once you do things, you become even more desensitized to them. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I never really got like hooked. I was kind of like a weekend warrior. Um, as far as that kind of stuff went, mm-hmm. which I can be blessed to say. Um, but that did happen later. I, I guess mostly it would have been, most of my struggles would have been with like alcohol. I definitely smoked pot like most of my adult life. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't really see that as like anything weird. Like that was like so just like normal every day. Mm-hmm. And then when in 2006, when I met my most recent ex, we got pretty bad off into intravenous cocaine addiction together. Mm. And so it was all, it was really dark. It was like worse than what you see in movies. You know? oh. Yeah. So that was, that was really dark. And How we did actually you come out of that. We pulled ourselves yeah. out together. Yeah. So, like, just sh- you didn't do no treatment or anything. Wow. Yeah. So she found out she was pregnant and she was like, I'm getting out of here and going to live with my mom and get clean. You can come or not. I don't care. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, well, I'm going to stay here, I guess. And then like a week later, so essentially when she left, that was like I was on my own and I just started spiraling out Mm. really, really quickly because I kind of think even though we were like in it together, we kind of like held each other up a little bit. Yeah. And without her, my friends were like, we're bringing him to you because if we don't, he's going to be dead in a week. Mm. Um, So they drove me out to Wilmington to her mom. I slept for like a week and then we, yeah, we just kind of like white knuckled it. So, like, it wasn't a clean break for me. Like, I definitely, like, dabbled a little bit here and there um, as I was trying to get clean. But it was, like, by the time Lyric was born, I was completely clean. Okay. Um. So, I guess that would have been maybe the first time I started kind of revisiting, like, Christianity again. Yeah. yeah. Um. I got involved with this group of people who were doing, like, uh, direct sales kind of like multi-level marketing people, yeah. but it was really like evangelicalism disguised as like multi-level marketing. Okay. And so I didn't know Sounds that. Sounds promising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, they got me by like, hey, we're going to show you how to make money and be successful and then kind of slid in the Jesus stuff on the side. Mm. Wow, I can't even conceive of how that would look. <laughs> <laughs> if we have more time, yeah. I could totally explain it to you sometime. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really... It was really interesting, but however, this I can say about it is that they recommended me to read like all of these books that were very instrumental in me Mm -hmm. kind of like working on myself, Mm -hmm. like all the classic like Dale Carnegie and like Ogmandino and like all the like kind of old school self-help stuff. And I really kind of started going down that. I got really into like that self-help style 
I'll can you explain that a little bit more? I I don't know those people. Okay. I don't know those books. I, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, like Dale Carnegie wrote like How to Make Friends and Influence People. And so these are okay. guys who were like salesmen in like the 20s and 30s who started like these sales organizations. And it was basically like the power of positive thinking mm. um, and like how you kind of see the world as how the world's going to treat you, you know? Mm. And so like you can develop a positive mental attitude and you will see that things in your life will gradually start getting better. Mm. And so I was like, well, what the heck? I'm kind of starting over from zero. This is another thing. You'll see I've started over from zero like multiple, multiple times. So yeah, so I was like, well, I mean, what do I have to lose? I And I kind of coming from like my kind of like Eastern New Agey background, that all kind of vibed with me a little bit. So I really saw that actually like working out and playing out in my life. Like the more positive, the more positivity that I was putting out, the more I was getting back in. And then of course that lines up, I think with a lot of biblical principles, you know, as far as like, you know, uh, very proverb like yeah. you know yeah <laughs> to whom much is given more will be given yeah exactly exactly and so you know it was all kind of like baked into me already so it was kind of easy to go along with that mm-hmm. um and then i really just started exploring that space on my own and started reading like tony robbins and other mm-hmm. more some more recent people um and it was all very helpful like for someone who is very practical and like needs to feel things and needs to like see things with his own eyes. It's like if so, if you can give me like a set of things to do that I can literally go do and then see the results, you know, kind of like an experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very helpful for me, you mm-hmm. know, rather than um, just kind of like hoping and wishing something, right. you know? Yeah. So I like to be able to see things for myself. Yeah. And so that, that I think that really helped me to kind of stay on a good track, you know, we ended up, uh, after Lyric was born, we ended up coming back to Asheville because my other kids were here mm-hmm. and I missed them terribly, as you could imagine. And we started our first cleaning company, okay. um, Organic Planet, um, back then and became really successful really quick. So we started with nothing. We had like, a, I think she started it with like a $400 unemployment check. She was actually partners with another friend of ours who kind of like showed us the ropes, like how mm-hmm. to actually not just clean but start a business you know Mm. um and we went and took classes at like mountain Bizworks and just really devoted like the next few years to really like building the business and it grew really quickly um so when i got out of treatment and everything and started going to missio that was when i started karma cleaners Mm -hmm. because i i knew it you know i was like this is something that i've done before yeah i can grow up pretty quickly knowing everything i know now and Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a blessing to really like know, you know, that I can start a business <laughs> yeah. from nothing, you know, and kind of There's know that it's of... at least going to like feed my family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like anywhere at any time. So, right. Yeah. So, okay. So y'all get married. I mean, sorry. Did you get married? We did. Okay. Yeah. It was, Lyric was, I think, four okay, when we got, got married. married. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so you, six more years because you said it was 10 years. Yeah. That's correct. And then y'all... And then we split up. Get a divorce. Mm -hmm. And then you said you got into... And then I spiraled out again. Okay. Yes. So I'm just curious how the second time you chose to go to treatment. Right. Uh, I didn't see a way out. Okay. Yeah. So this last time when uh, when she and I split up, yeah, it was just a wild set of circumstances. The people living living next door to me had like 
access to everything. And I was living by myself in a big house that my whole family had previously been in. Yeah. Um, and it was really dark and depressing. Sure. Um, and with all of that literally being like right next door to me. And I mean, it was like these guys were like partying right there, like all the time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to come hang out with you guys. And it all escalated really quickly. I was selling, using, and this kind of went on for like a year or two. Okay. Yeah. And it got pretty dark. Um, I tried to quit on my own yeah. a number of times and I'd be okay for like a month or something and then would be like right back in it. Huh. I just knew that if I didn't get outside help, I wasn't going to make it. Yeah. So yeah, I ended up uh, getting locked up for a little while Okay. and I was locked up for about six months. And then when I got out, I knew I was clean, like I hadn't been using, but mentally I knew that I needed a little bit more of a solid foundation. Yeah. So um, I went and got myself into like one of the state assisted facilities. Yeah. So uh -huh. I didn't have to pay for it. The state helped out with that. Thank God. Mm -hmm. And it was the best thing I've ever done. I mean, it was a life-changing experience. Mm -hmm. That Again, is where you that's met where your I, friend. Yeah, that's yeah. where I met my friend. I mean, it was like, it literally changed my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God bless those people. Like, yeah. it really, It. I would not, you know, I can't say that I'd be sitting here right now, you know, without the foundation yeah. that I got there and, and just everything that came from that. Was part of that treatment treating your depression too? Or did, was that, I mean, how did... That? Yeah, so I think it was it was really like... Getting an actual diagnosis, like being able to actually talk to people mm -hmm. who were able to look at me and tell me exactly what I had been going through. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, we've seen this before and they were able to tell me like, you're not actually a depressive person. Like mm -hmm. I never got diagnosed with like clinical depression. It was like situational sure. depression. Sure, sure. So they were like, you're actually fine. I definitely have like an addictive personality type, yeah. um, which is something that I have to like watch out for and be mm -hmm. careful of. Mm -hmm. But as far as like my personal demeanor and outlook, like I'm not, I'm a pretty happy go lucky individual. And it was really like the trauma of losing that relationship. Yeah. And the fact that like when we had started, we were in that addiction. Yeah. And so now knowing what I know now about like psychology and addiction and all of this, um, which has actually become like a really big part of my life, like studying these things yeah. now, it's really actually not that unusual for someone in a trauma like that to go back to their most recent addiction because and this is kind of like the relationship model of substance abuse that yeah. we actually people in addiction are actually having like a relationship with the substance yeah. you know because people abuse drugs typically in isolation mm -hmm. um so it's like you're in isolation and you're actually having a relationship with the substance like the substance is your yeah. friend the substance is your partner mm -hmm. your lover being able to see it like that, I was really able to kind of like examine what I had gone through and know that I wasn't actually like a completely broken, useless person. Sure. And that there was actually like hope and I was yeah. able to like yeah. put myself, it was kind of like being empowered by all of the knowledge that they gave me while I was in there was like what made it possible for me to kind of like lay the foundation for, yeah. for moving forward from there. Yeah, I think too, like, being told you're not alone like right you're not crazy yeah we've seen this before we can help you exactly. you know and yeah. like 
I mean, you know, even to small degrees, you know, there are moments where I think, you know, you're like, I don't want to tell anyone this because you're going to think I'm nutso. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, and there's still stuff. I mean, I'm sure that this is probably true for everyone. But, yeah, there's still stuff that I wouldn't even tell, like, a therapist. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's just things that, like, go on in our heads. Sure. You know, that I, I mean, it's not even us per se you know it's like we don't we don't choose the thoughts like the thoughts just kind of like come and Mm -hmm. go it's like whether or not you're going to dwell on something is your decision you know Mm -hmm. yeah but i think it's so powerful like for someone to be like oh yeah and you're like wait what right (laughs) yes yeah normal yeah exactly no it was it was it was extremely empowering (laughs) you know especially yeah Yeah, if you feel trapped and like you feel like you are at the bottom you still have dignity you're still a person yeah and you're made in the image of god and yeah you're loved and that is really powerful it really is yeah. and and they provided me with a lot of tools you know mm-hmm. for like moving forward like yeah. if things get rough you know it's like i don't i i just i could never really at this point in my life and i and the reason why i can say this now is i don't feel like i could have said this before because they were always kind of like a something on the back burner for me, like always a possibility. Oh, I could always go do drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not in me anymore. Huh. It's like mm-hmm. for the first time in my life, like I don't think that there is a tragedy that could send me back into like that kind of spiral again yeah. because of it, what I've learned. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think it's because you understand that relationship? I think now? that, yep. I think huh. I have a different How understanding. And so this has also been empowering is at the time when I – got divorced and fell into that first really dark depression i didn't know what resources were available sure like had i known i would have gone and checked myself and then before everything got bad sure you know i would have been like hey i'm not doing well right now i need help yeah um, well, I think a before lot of everything got as bad as it did i didn't yeah. know that there was like state funded facilities yeah. that you can go to you know yeah. that wasn't even an option and so i was just trying to like make it on my own which, you know, if anybody out there is listening and struggling, there is help and you can go get like free assistance with any kind of like mental issue through like RHA would be the first place that I would go here in Asheville. Yeah. They will get you into anywhere, any kind of therapy, any kind of help that you need. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think they're that's amazing. Important to plug because yeah. I Praise think God. that's yeah. you're not alone in that. You yeah. know, people find themselves in a spot. And then they're like, "Why well, don't who's gonna help? How can I get help?" You know, exactly. And so they just continue to spiral out. Well, that's that's what happened. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that there was options. Right. Like I had no idea. Yeah, you know. Um, and so it actually took when I got locked up. They came. They were like, "Hey, would anybody like to talk to RHA?" And I was uh-huh. like, "What is that?" And they were like, "Oh, you can get into treatment after you get out of here. Sometimes you can even go straight from here." And yeah. so I was like, "Uh, yes. Can I get? <laughs> can Me, I do that right here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be great." Yeah. Having that knowledge, you know, that just like even if I was to find myself in a really dark, traumatic place again, Mm -hmm. now I know go get help. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. don't try to do it on your own. It's not you don't need to. Mm -hmm. Like there's no point and you won't probably won't do very well, you know, because when you're in that place, you're not going to make a good decision. Yeah. You can't, you know. What a beautiful thing. Yeah. How long have you been sober now? Um, It has been. So that was two. So almost. Almost two full years. Congratulations. Yeah. So I have, just to be clear, I have beers every now and again. Like, I'm just not, like, I don't have the addictive mentality. Alcohol's never really been, like, I definitely 
abused alcohol in the past, but it was more because it was kind of like my environment, like everybody around me yeah. type yeah, yeah. deal sure. was. It's not really my thing. Like I'm totally fine to have like two beers, you know, every once in a while when I get yeah. home from work and yeah. like that's not a thing. But yeah, as far as like drugs go, yeah, it's been two years. So Wow, that's yep. amazing. Congratulations. Praise yep. the Lord. Yep. So we'll start kind of bringing the plane yeah. down to land, and then we'll ask some silly questions. Cool. Since you're not being like, well, let's hey, like we maybe back, where I'm going, where I'm headed yeah. now. Okay. You know, so like I again, I spent the last year and a half really kind of like um, exploring like my own personal, like how do I fit? You know, how do I fit? Okay, if I am going to live like a Christian life, like I don't want it to be the way that my parents were, where I'm just kind of like professing this set of beliefs. Like I really want it to be real. I really want to be able to like answer all of my questions, you know, like have it fit in with my mm-hmm. worldview, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of have your feet match your head. Exactly. Like, to live yeah, it out. Yeah. yeah. And so I was able to do that by really studying um, some of the fathers of the church, some of the real like kind of older writings and and then people um, like Henry Nowen yeah. and Father Richard Rohr and kind of like some some of those guys. Uh, another guy, he might be a little controversial, but I'm going to say him anyways, David Bentley Hart. Um, I really, he's one of my favorite theologians. Um, I don't know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, so I'm really like, my goal now is, I, I you know, I'm, planning to uh, I'm working on a psychology religious studies double major as I mentioned and my interest is really like kind of in exploring psychology and consciousness and like where all of that fits in I think so growing up I was I always saw like science and religious religion as like conflicting with each other mm-hmm. and I that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth for me now so it's like the more that we learn about the world through science, mm-hmm. it just, it actually increases my understanding of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I so, think a lot of science screams there's a creator. Yeah, I, I think so as you well. That I do, 100%. So your life, I think we could describe as very dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be safe. <laughs> so it's a safe, safe description. Yep. Yeah. How do you look back on it now? Or are you like, I'm so thankful for having gone through those experiences? Or are you oh, like, absolutely. I wish I would have made different choices? Or I mean, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. You know, of course, yeah. I, there was many times. I, honestly, the one thing, I wish I had just like stayed in school early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know. But at the same time, I know that I went through the experiences that I did. I survived it. Mm-hmm. And because of my ability to have gone through the places that I went, like all of the shadow work that I've done, I think is really going to help me help other people Mm -hmm. moving forward. Mm -hmm. So like, and, you know, eventually I would like to be working with people who've suffered from trauma and who've suffered from addiction and be able to help them. I think I have a really very unique worldview and that, can relate to a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. Yeah. And I don't think that I would necessarily have that and be able to help as many people as I think I'll be able to had I not gone through right. what I went through. Yeah, so. I think that's so true. Is 
we're all equipped to to work with and reach different kinds of people, mm-hmm. you know, through our experience. And I think anyone who's lived any amount of time could say like the hardest things that I've gone through ended up being blessings in mm-hmm. the end. Absolutely. Like, yeah. The things that I would have traded anything in the world to get out of. Exactly. Yes. 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 Yeah. I would say that 100%. Absolutely. 100%. I, you know, I, of course would never want to cause pain for anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's of course my main regrets is any pain that I caused to other people. But I know that everything that I went through, I know I was doing the best that I could in every situation I was mm-hmm. in, even if that was pretty crappy at times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it was still all I had at that moment, you know? I think too, though, like, I mean, coming from a child of um, someone who has had addiction, I don't like, I don't know that I would change that either, though. You're right. Because I think it makes me who I am. Absolutely. And I think it makes, like, stuff that I have faced in my life, I mean, it's, and you can relate to people better. You yeah, know what exactly. I, mean? and so, I do. Yes. Did you cause your family a lot of pain? Absolutely. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that it's the same thing. Like, they learned and they grew and, um, yes, and, yes. and y'all are yeah, still really close. We are, yeah. And I so mean, I think that absolutely. that's. That's a huge testament too yeah. of, you know, I th- and I think sometimes we we do get into this like, well, I've screwed everything up, so I'm just going to keep going. Right. And or like, I'm just not going to like deal with that because they're just going to hate me if they know everything. Mm-hmm. But at the end, you know, most people who like end up having a conversation about it, yeah. it, it's like such a beautiful thing of really great relationship, you know, and then your kids also feel like they can come to you and be like, Hey, look, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And there's not, yeah, they, there's yeah. nothing that I would or could judge them sure. for, you know, like guys, I promise you, your yeah. dad's done worse, <laughs> like literally. And they're all great. That's the thing is like, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not worried about any of them mm-hmm. following like the path that I followed. And I think a large part of that is because of the honest and open relationship that we have me and my partners have had sure. with them. And I think sometimes like the things that you think could be the worst thing that could ever happen or would really break you mm-hmm. once you've been through it, you're like, like, I think you're a great testament of like, no, you can get out of it. Yeah. Like, and you can really put it down absolutely. and be done with it. Yeah, you no, know? absolutely. Yeah. No, there's literally, so. that's the thing. Yeah. I, I hope that my life is a living testament yeah. to like the fact that anybody can overcome, you know, really anything yeah. that they go through. Yeah. You I mean, know. six kids. If there, uh, six kids. <laughs> yeah. Years of addiction, you know, and I'm here and not just living, but like thriving, mm. you know, and have a really promising, you know, I feel like all of the best years are still ahead, you know, so yeah. I'm excited. Praise God. Praise God. Cool. Well, thanks for being so honest. Yeah. Your life, <laughs> it's I think. not too much. Powerful story <laughs> of redemption and, and willpower working together and, yeah. you know, Christ bringing you to this place and then bringing you out of it. And yeah. To a bright future. Mm-hmm. We're going to move into a little thing called the lightning round. Sweet. Whoop, whoop. Okay. I'm going to ask you this question because I like to think about it. Is it wrong for a vegan to eat animal crackers? Because animal crackers <laughs> are vegan. They are vegan, but they look like animals. Yes. Does that? Yeah. Tell me about that. I think it's I think it's okay. You're cool with it. Yeah, I'm cool with it. It really messes with my head. No, I understand. <laughs> I do like, I could see how like viscerally... <laughs> It could be kind of disconcerting to eat the head off of a camel. Um, but yet you don't eat chicken. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah. There's definitely some cognitive dissonance there, but I think it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what's the worst car you've ever had? 
<laughs> All of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> my first car was a Delta 88. Uh, okay. 19, Is that an Oldsmobile? Oh, yep. Okay. Ni- Oldsmobile. It was a 1977 Delta 88. It Winner. was doo-doo brown. <laughs> um, it had power everything, though. And, yeah. um, did it work? Plush. Yeah, it did. Wow. And pl- my dad got it for 500 bucks. It, it, oh, everything but the speedometer. <laughs> so I did oh, get my first speeding ticket yeah. on my 16th birthday. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, actually, no. Let me take that back. The Toyota Tercel um, that I had, I guess it would have been the third car that I ever had. Is that the not, really angular one? Yeah, yeah, and it was the it was like an 83 Toyota Tercel, little like hatchbacky looking thing. It looks like it could be from Star Wars. Totally, yeah. yes. And it did not have reverse. And there was a hole in the passenger side floorboard. Yeah. So you could actually like see the road. Like Flintstone style. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would have to either like park on a hill so that I could roll it backwards. Strategic. Yep. Or I would have to like push it literally Flintstone <laughs> style with my foot uh-uh. to back out. Uh-uh. Yes. Yes. Oh, that that's is amazing. great. That's yep. awesome. Excellent. What makes you feel most at peace? What makes me feel most at peace? Um, I mean, meditating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that a practice that you have in your life? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. I have a, I have a sitting practice. Um, I, I've, that's kind of been something that stayed with me, um, has been like the meditation yoga side of things. I find it to be very useful and, and also a rich tradition in our own. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of contemplatives in the, in the Christian tradition. So, yeah. And that's something that I've actually been learning more about is some more like Christian uh, tradition as far as that goes, you know, mm. um, centering prayer and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. What's your most controversial opinion about something mundane? I feel like all of my opinions are fairly controversial. (laughs) (laughs) You could just write not applicable. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I tend to be a bit of a contrarian. Yeah. So um, pretty much if you say like this is the predominant view on the subject, I'm probably in the other camp. Yeah. So you have a wing eight. Probably. Whatever that means. Yes. So. So... Just so our listeners know, what Enneagram number are you? I am a hard seven. Hard seven. Hard seven. So we have a room of three sevens. Yes. What does sevenness mean to you in your life? Um, Don't do drugs. (laughs) (laughs) How does it it express itself, like, in Um, in the way that you live? I mean, so, uh, you know, I, I, I like to enjoy life. Yeah. I like to help other people enjoy life. I like to make things fun and interesting. I like to make things more dynamic. Yeah, I feel like I just bring a little bit of dynamism and interest into whatever situation I happen to find myself mm-hmm. in. Yeah. So we can all speak, to, we can all kind of relate. We're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 What makes you feel most trapped? Because being trapped is like, the kryptonite of seven. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I guess being around closed-minded people. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, I just can't. I have a really hard time around. Must be a hard time to live right now. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And so I find myself really trying to um, find those people who are really 
more inclusive and like asking questions and willing to change their mind about things. Mm -hmm. um, that's really kind of like my kind of criteria when I'm listening, you know, the as we were talking about podcasts a little bit, like that's what I seek is people who are like willing to question themselves, question the their own biases. You know, that we all have these internal biases that most people are completely unaware of. Yeah. And, um, people who are willing to kind of like look at that and 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 readjust, approach life with a little humility. Yes, exactly. I think it's exactly. refreshing too. I think so too, especially in today's climate. Very much so. Um, yeah, I'm always seeking a better argument, you know. And if you can convince me of something, please do. You just made my day. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a lot of eight wing. Yeah. Of like the the challenger. That's ah, the yeah. word I'm looking for. Ah, yeah. That's the eight. That makes so, sense. Yeah. yeah. So you like are fun and go with the flow, but also you like can pick a, not a fight, but like an argument because it's fun to you. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And I can take the other side. And you're not upset. No, no, no. And yeah. I can take the other side just yeah. for the sake of the conversation. Yes. yes. Like literally. Eight yeah. When I was in high school and like having to do debates and stuff, I would always intentionally pick the side that I disagreed with. Yeah. To yeah. debate. Because I'm yeah. like, okay, that's going to be the challenge. Yeah. Is and like, it's fun for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. eight. Cool. Yeah. So we're all seven wing eights. Yeah. Wow. That's weird. Some that's say weird. sometimes I'm an eight. Sure. <laughs> I started to accept that a little bit more lately. Yeah. Really? Like, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. I'm not going to push that on you, but I would agree. I think you're an eight. I mean, so that's a little bit of pushing it on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to push it on you, but yeah. That's but like saying... That's <laughs> No offense. <laughs> and then you say something really or, offensive. Yeah. Don't take this. Don't take this the don't wrong. Don't take way. this wrong. Don't, don't take this personally. personally. And then it's you like, say something really personal. Then don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. I just did that. Yeah. Oh, no. man. Yeah. I have. It actually all came to me through looking through a uh, Harry Potter Enneagram, which is embarrassing to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a safe space. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. This has been the Box Pop. If you want to be a guest in the Vox Pop, reach out. How can they reach us, Hannah? If you want to be on the Vox Pop, send an email to voxpop at nbcashville.org. Thanks for listening. See Thanks, guys. See you next week.